Well, that was fun, wasn't it? You ain't seen nothing yet. Happy balls. We're going to talk about happiness for the next eight weeks, so here you go. Oh, yeah, 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 you'll feel left out. I know it. I can't get it to the balcony, guys. I, I love you more than anybody, but I can't get it up there. All right. Welcome, everybody. If you're uh, back after our Easter, great Easter services of the last week, a very, very special welcome to you. And uh, we decided a couple of months ago, Pastor Rob and, uh, and uh, those he called in to think about this, what should we do right after Easter? Especially hoping with spring coming and such, and maybe some people taking a more serious look at God than they have before. And we thought, let's talk about this issue called happiness. About three weeks ago, I was watching the news, and on the news came a, an announcement that said today is the international, get this, the international day of happiness. Did you know there was an international day of happiness? United Nations, March 20th of every year is to be the international day of happiness. Started in 2012. So important to think about the well-being of human beings and nations, the International Day of Happiness. So that got me going on this thing, and I realized, well, lots of people are wondering about happiness and wishing for it. But then the really big thing that happened was on November 11th, no, no, November 21st, 2013. I know you all know what happened on November 21st, 2013. That is when a YouTube video was released that went viral. It was a song. It was a song that had been embedded in the, the wonderful children and family film Despicable Me 2. But the song didn't do anything. It was just one of many other songs. But then the official video of this song, written by a guy, guy named Pharrell, suddenly was released, and within hours it had gone viral. Within days, it was the number one song in over 80 nations of the world. Cities, countries, the state of Virginia wondered if it should become their state song. Uh, 625 million unique downloads of this video have taken place in our world. Pharrell. You know what I'm talking about. It's called happy, right? Have any of you heard of this? Of course you have. All right. It kind of goes like this, okay? So even the first service clapped along with me on this. So, uh, but I have to put the words so it won't look like a clear clap, but I'm clapping. All right, okay? Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like happiness. It maybe does this. Because I'm happy, if you know, if you know that happiness is for you. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. And then he gets up on his toes and he dances around. 
and all that stuff that someone my age and station should not attempt. <laughs> all right. But even the song itself just inspires and the clapping and such. Uh, I think what happened, and, and actually it was Oprah that unveiled this. After all this was happening, and nations were literally taking the song, lip-syncing to it, and doing their own renditions from all over the world. And as Oprah was interviewing Pharrell, she said to him, you do realize that you are being used for something greater than you. Absolutely true. When he saw the way all the nations were interpreting it, he just started crying and crying and crying. And he says, it's, it's, it's not my song. It belongs to the world. What he had done is awakened this deep craving. In fact, Pastor Ted uh, used this in his announcements, this deep longing, this deep craving for happiness in our lives. It's almost as if down in the web of our DNA design and our spirits, we long for happiness. We hope for happiness. So then, it should not surprise us at all that Jesus Christ talked about this subject. And in fact, his first public address, he literally uses the word happiness nine times in ten verses. If you have a Bible, would you open it with me, please, to... Matthew chapter 5, for the next eight weeks, we're going to be unpacking this concept and these meanings into our lives. Matthew chapter 5, I think it's on page 958 in the Bibles we provide on the seatbacks. And incidentally, folks, if you don't have a, a new international version of the Bible like we use here, or maybe you don't have any Bible at all, we have some for you in the visitor center. Just go in there and say, hey, I'd like one of those Bibles. We'd love to give it to you as a gift so you could bring it to church. Because every week we open God's Word. If you look at the fifth chapter, I'm going to read now starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, now look at verse 3. The word there is blessed. In the Greek New Testament, they put in the one Greek word that could kind of get close to the term blessed, and it's the Greek word for happiness. So let me read these inserting happiness, and I'll explain more in a minute. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, they will see God. Happy are peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then even in verse 11, blessed are you when you're insulted. Happy, 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 happy. The first public address, and, and we believe the first true formal training of the disciples with this new world order that Jesus is introducing to them. And he starts with happy 
blessed, happy, happy, happy. What a shock in the real world to think that happiness could be one of the values. Hmm. What do we mean by happy? What did Jesus mean by happy? Well, first of all, let's talk about how I think happiness is understood within our world and in our culture. Happiness is a temporary emotional bliss. I capitalized bliss resulting from external events. Temporary, emotional, please don't minimize emotions. Emotions are a wonderful part of our brain, okay, of our mind. Temporary, emotional bliss resulting from external events. Case in point, Thursday night, Marie and I are home together. We're, neither of us were, were working, and we finished our meal. We sat down, and we turned on PBS because at 8 o'clock, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys was unveiling his brand new album. Yes, he's 72, he can barely walk and talk, but that doesn't matter, okay? And I was so excited about it, and he's got a full orchestra, he's got all these great young musicians, and they're doing new stuff and old stuff, and the greatest harmonies, you, you, you just can't imagine what rock and roll harmony can sound like unless you studied Brian Wilson, okay? Okay, so it's going on, and I am so happy. Why? Because it is awakening in me. Surfing. Marie and I grew up in California. It's awakening uh, Thunderbirds and 57 Chevys. It's awakening a lovely blonde girl who became my wife, who is my surfer girl. It's got all of that going. <laughs> and I am just having the time of my life. Bliss, B-L-I-S-S. Now, Marie thought I was just weird, okay? She just looks at me, she says, you really do like this stuff, don't you? I go, yes. All right. But no more than 20 minutes into the concert, bamp, 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 television, warning across the screen. Why? Thursday night, tornadoes. And we all know what happened. And suddenly the television screen was taken over by tragedy. And how ironic that the little town that got hit the worst is Fairdale. A Fairdale. It's totally destroyed. Needless to say, I wasn't happy any longer. Why? Because my happiness was predicated on an outward event. And now another outward event of life had hit. And it had hit hard. And there was no room to be happy. Somebody asked Marie one time, uh, because sometimes people think I'm, a, I'm a happy all the time, and they say, uh, Marie, what's it like being married to a man who's always happy? And she just says, I wouldn't know. Okay? <laughs> she does. That's what she says. I wouldn't know, because it's true. This blissness of happiness is really predicated on outward events. And it can blow up in your face. In fact, I... I now it's time for bubbles. All right. Uh, I know this is really silly, but it works. Um, last, uh, yeah, last Sunday afternoon, we had a wonderful missionary family over with two little kids, and they were blowing bubbles. And they'd blow the bubble, and then they would try to reach and get it. And they would try to reach and get it. And what happens when you try to reach and get a bubble? Pop. Bliss is gone. Illustration of how we often think of happiness. Brief glimpses, 
brief touches, bliss, but then gone. Is that what Jesus is talking about in this text? It can't be because it's not true, right? There's no eternal bliss. But Jesus is talking about a deeper form of happy, a heavier, weightier concept of happy. And may I suggest this as a definition of blessed or Jesus' view of happy. Blessed is the word. It's a state of being independent of external events. State of being independent of external events. The term blessed, blessing, blessedness, etc. is used 522 times in the Bible. It's almost, if you take all the pages of the Bible, it's almost like on every other page you will see this concept of blessed, which the Greeks defined as happy. Incidentally, the Greek term that is used in the New Testament was generally only ascribed to the Greek gods. Only the Greek gods could be happy. Why? Because everything was under control in their lives. And yet it's the term that Jesus uses, this state of being uh, being that's independent of external events. Billy Graham uh, has a nice quote on it that we put up for you. Blessed or happy is a contentment that fills the soul even in the most distressing circumstances and the most bitter environment. And my hunch is Mr. Graham drew that from the scriptures where the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul is saying, I have learned, it's something that is learned, and it's a secret of how to be content, blessed in any and every situation. Well, we want to go deeper into this. We, we want to, okay, Jesus, what's this, what's happening? How, how do we get our arms around this? Uh, and this week, uh, one of the persons that often helps me in my sermons, I have six people, three men and three women, who I call research fellows. That's kind of a nice academic term. And, and what it means is uh, these people work the text with me. They go off into their own expertise. They find things. They shoot it back to me. And between the books I read and the words that they give, I find things. And one of these guys said, um, and he, he's a, a, a scientist in, in geology is his background. He said, uh, what you're defining as this state of being independent of external events. He says, it kind of reminds me of the oceans. And this really works for me, so I hope it does for you. He says, there are surface currents on the ocean. And there are deep currents. And the surface currents of the oceans are fast. They are visible. They move weather. And they're capricious. Turmoil. Impacted by wind and storms. In fact, they create the winds and the storms in some way, shape, or sense. Well, that's kind of how life feels like to us. <laughs> but he said, but deeper in the deep oceans of this earth. And here are the words. There are powerful, stable, slow, never-changing currents that encircle the world at all times. And it doesn't matter what's happening on the surface currents. 
you can't change the stability and the movement of the deep currents that help order human existence. I think that this happiness, blessedness that Jesus is talking about has to do with deep ocean currents, not surface currents. Not bliss, blessed. I was reminded this week of by contact with a couple of friends, both from our church, who have lost their spouses in the last year. And in phone conversations and meals with them, both have said, this is really, really hard. But somehow I feel, and here's the word, carried along. The deep ocean current. The undercurrent of peace of contentment. I tried to find a way to put this in words. How does one experience this when the world about us seems full of turmoil? How do we live out this blessedness? And I think it has to do with meditating on who God is for you. And the words I've chosen that you'll see on the screen are blessed, the experience of blessedness. An inner awareness that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you are safe because you are connected completely with God forever. Let me just say those words again. I've, I, I was actually woke in the night just meditating on those truths. That you, I am loved, you are loved. We are cared for. We are safe. Because we are connected completely and forever to God. Bliss? Surface currents? No. Kind of nice, but they don't last. Deep ocean current of blessing. Yes, this is where Jesus is going. And Pastor Rob and I, uh, over the next weeks, will we'll be opening this up even further because there are some conditions for understanding this blessedness. And so look at the third verse again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, no. Let me read it again. Blessed are the ultra-wealthy. No, it doesn't say that. Blessed are those with earned degrees. No. Blessed are those who don't love the cubs. No. <laughs> Blessed are the poor, impoverished, in spirit. Blessed are those who in themselves feel they are spiritually poor. Poor. Insufficient for life. In fact, that's the word I like to use. Poor in spirit has to do with this sense of I am not sufficient at any point in my life. I am insufficient in every point of my life. And there's something about coming to that reality that awakens the blessedness. And that's what I'm going to develop. I'm going to say three things about poor in spirit. 
I'm going to talk about understanding the reality of poor in spirit, spiritually impoverished. I'm going to talk about getting real. These are all, again, I'll start with R. Okay, reality, real, and release. I think all of those three concepts tie into what it is to live in the, re, in, in the trueness of poor in spirit. First of all, to realize have you come to the place in your life where you honestly admit, I am spiritually impoverished? Have you come to the point in your life where you realize you are impoverished in trying to control anything in your life? Can't control the weather. Can't control governments. Can't control relationships. Can't control even your physical health. Thought I could, then I turned 60. And most of all, you can't control your own behavior. Can you? No. The things that we think that we shouldn't ought to think. The stuff that we do that we shouldn't ought to do and that after we do it, this plaguing guilt comes driving inside us. The Bible talks about this inner reality versus perception. Perception, I can run my life. I can be a good person. Reality, I'm broken at almost every spot to some degree. The Bible calls it sin. And not only does sin destroy me and destroy those that are around me, my sin, but it separates me from a holy God who won't stand for it. Do you realize that? That's where poor in spirit starts, by realizing there is nothing in me. In fact, I like to use the term that comes from George MacDonald where he says, here, Lord, I have fallen again. I'm a human clod. C-L-O-D. MacDonald. You know how I found that? One of the books I opened this week as I was studying was given to me by a friend. His name was Chris Mitchell. He was a part of our church for so long and, and died suddenly last July. Dear, dear friend. And in this book, which he had given to me, he, he'd inscripted, Kyle, he'd inscripted in the front of it. And he says, dear friend Lon. And then he goes, a fellow Claude. on our journey to the celestial kingdom. Clawed, dirt put together, nothing quite right, ah, ah, ah. Here I am again, Lord, a human clawed, unable to control anything in my life, unable to be what I wanna be, unable to do what I wanna do, unable to control my environment, my circumstances. I can't even put my contacts in on Sunday morning without praying for help. That's where poor in spirit starts. Are you there? May God help you to get there because happiness is on the other side of that truth. Realize, number two, get real, R-E-A-L. Get real about it. Don't hide it. Don't play facades. Uh, our, I, I, I got a quote this week from, from a talk that I watched, and it said this. We, in the U.S., are the most in-debt 
addicted, obese, and medicated generation of adults in American history. <laughs> See the flag waving? We are the most in-debt, addicted, obese, medicated generation of adults. God bless America, you know? In American history, it's true. Do you ever watch the 5.30 news at night? Or DVR it, watch it later? Do you know how many commercials there are on that thing for my generation about pills that are supposed to tell us we're not getting old? And we are. Facade. Hide. We hide our clawedness. We don't admit our clawedness. And part two of poor in spirit is not only realizing it, but saying, here I am again, God. Just like McDonald, a human clawed. I admit it to me, and I admit it to you, God. And may I just add one other element? Every person needs a one, at least one other person in their life who knows how clawedful they are and will love them anyway. Why? Because we desperately need to be honest. We desperately need to be real. We need to stop covering the shame, covering the guilt, covering the evil in us. Someone who will look at us and say, you too? I love you anyway. Realize it. Get real about it. With yourself, with God, and with at least one other trusted person. Don't get real with someone you can't trust. That's el stupido. <laughs> but start praying if you don't have someone like that. Because man, the walls come tumbling down when I can really be honest about all that's wrong and broken me with someone who will love me anyway. All right. Now, blessing begins when... We are poor in spirit. And that leads to the third R. The third R is can we release the control of it to God? Can we release the control of our lives to God? Can we throw in the towel? Can we cry out uncle and say, God, here I am. I called a very dear person in my life this week very, very precious person. Been practicing alcoholic for over 30 years and has been sober for seven now. And I said, I think the 12 steps talk about this thing of releasing control to God. And he said, they sure do. And he reminded me of the first three steps of the 12-step program. And I can't imagine any better wordage for what you have to do and what I have to do to be poor in spirit, to start receiving the sense of being carried on the everlasting currents of God's happiness. Here they are. Step one, we admit that we are powerless over our blank. <laughs> Fill in your clawedness yourself. And our lives are unmanageable. Have you come to that point in your life? Two, we admit we need a power greater than ourselves who can restore us to sanity. You know, that's what sin is. Chuck Swindoll says sin is temporary insanity. 
It's just for me, it's kind of chronic. And three, so we have made a decision to turn over our lives to God. What is poor in spirit? It's people who realize they can't control life. Realize that they're clods. It's those who get real about it. And it's those who say, here God, I can't manage my life. Would you do it? Blessed, happy are those who are poor in spirit. I hope you've come there, and if not, I hope today is the day you will. One more thing Jesus has to say in this great passage, and this is really good news, everyone. Would you look at it again with me? Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Look what it's got there. For what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Throughout these, what we call the Beatitudes, and Beatitudes simply comes from a Latin word that means blessing. Throughout these blessings, you will see the word kingdom of God used more than once. You'll see it throughout the Gospels in Jesus. Jesus kept talking about something new is at hand, a massive new kingdom. Now, when you and I think kingdom, we always think of geopolitical realities. And that's true. The coming of Jesus Christ inaugurated a new world order where this thing called the church would suddenly start to reshape civilizations, pressing back darkness. Now you may say, well, you haven't done a very good job. Okay. All I can say to people that says we haven't done a very good job is I wonder what it would have been like if we hadn't been here for 2,000 years. So yes, to start pushing back darkness everywhere. But for Jesus, kingdom thinking actually begins, not geopolitically, it actually begins inter inside us. I, wanted, I, I won't say that. Inside us. Personally. So, so that's why you see language in the Bible about the kingdom in you. The new rule and the reign of God in me. I've become part of the kingdom. I've become God's new holy nation. And you say, where are you getting that? Well, the Bible talks about receiving Christ. The Bible talks about that we are in Him, in Christ. That, that it's literally the person of God taking up residency with all of His perfection in human being. The kingdom comes within. And notice the verb there. The, the, for theirs is the kingdom. It doesn't say will be. Maybe it'll someday happen. It says is now. It begins now. The inner dwelling of God. That's why I said eternally connected completely to God. He will never leave you and never forsake you. And through you start to spread the geopolitical realities of his kingdom on this earth. Blessed 
are the poor in spirit. Theirs is right now the kingdom of heaven. So what does that mean? It means that in you now and in me now, there can be a surging in us of God who fills the holes, who crushes the clods, who ends our hatred, who starts changing our dysfunctions to functionality, who comes to us in our fears and our doubts, who ends our self-loathing. Why? Because God is in us. We must have value if God wants to take a presidency within us and then calls us his sons and daughters. The kingdom is alive. Now, not everybody has the kingdom. And so you might be saying, and I hope you are, saying, Lon, how do I get into that? How do I learn to live in a state of contented blessedness? Jesus says, by admitting how poor in spirit you are, by you releasing your life to him and letting him, his own rule, start to take shape in your life. So I got three small application points. And the first one's probably for some of you that are here. Most of you have already done the first point, but some of you haven't. And so I would say, number one, connect to God now. Have you received Jesus Christ? Some of you did it last Sunday with Pastor Rob. Have you prayed, surrendered your life, asked him to forgive your sins? Have you thanked him for dying on the cross for you? Most importantly, have you said, God, I want to connect with you right now. Following our service, if you've not done that, come down. Our prayer counselors, here's all you have to say to them. I want to connect with God. And they'll lead you in a prayer. Or go out into the visitor center. Go in there and say, I don't want coffee. I want to connect to God. Get there today. Number two, and this is more for people who are connected but find themselves unplugging a lot. Realize and get real with somebody. Ask the Lord to give you a friend, a spouse, somebody who knows how clodful you are and loves you anyway. Off the top of your head, how many of you have a person like that already in your lives? Would you raise your hands for me? Yeah? Balcony too? I'm guessing maybe a third to a half of us. Isn't it wonderful when you have that? We've got to be transparent about our junk and receive from a trusted soul, I love you anyway. That's number two. Ask God for somebody like that. And if that is an uncultivated relationship in your life, strengthen it. It's one of the greatest gifts on earth. It helps to let the deep currents of God's contentedness flow through you. And then finally, this is just a little prayer that I often use in my own life, but I commend it to you. I put two verses of Jesus together in it. 
And I think we've got it on screen. Um, yeah, there it is. Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. I use that in the mornings. Oftentimes I use it in the middle of the night when I wake up. Often I use it when I'm at my lowest, when there's no bliss at all, but I'm crying out for blessed. <laughs> Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. Pray with me now. And so gladly, God, we come with a hunger for happiness, with a desire for the deep currents of contented blessing. And Lord, grant us the miracle of living so in you that we begin to experience that steady state you have promised. For I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and amen.